a welcome to visitors as well as family and friends who are visiting with the children professing their faith in Jesus today. We are looking at a sermon outside of our normal series today for this particular occasion in Romans 12. Hear now the word of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God remains forever. Congregation, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Well, children, you remember this, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That comes from the Heidelberg Catechism. It's there on the bottom of page six if you want to follow up later. This is the catechism that the kids and I studied for the last few years. We didn't just study this, but we dug into the scriptures to know what we believe and why we believe it. Why does this matter? Well, the history of this helps us there. The catechism was written in 1563. Heidelberg, Germany is where it originated. The electoral palatinate at that point was officially Lutheran. They were different days back then. The Reformation had come to Germany about 30 years before, and Elector Frederick III came to power in 1559 and visited the churches to see how are things going spiritually. One thing he found was that many of the children were growing up without the fear of God and the knowledge of the Bible. Here we are over 400 years later, and The issues remain the same, don't they? In our fallen Romans 1 world, a catechism, a question and answer can help us remember the past. Not that we're dusty and kind of living in the 1500s. We're living in 2023. But to remember God's faithfulness, his steadfast love, his covenant-keeping promises, not just since 1563, but going back to the book of Genesis. That first promise of the covenant of grace that God would send a savior to crush Satan and to destroy the works of the devil. This catechism was written primarily by a man who was 28 years old. You know that, kids? Zachary Ursinus. The other author, Caspar Olivianus, had been present at the drowning death of Frederick who commissioned this. So there are personal pastoral issues here. The theme is comfort over and over again. That we are not to do works of penance to pay for our sins, but that Christ fully paid for our sins. That in war and famine and plague and disease, we have a God that knows the hairs on our head and watches over us in such a way that he works all things together for our salvation. That we don't just try our best and say that God will do the rest. But rather we belong to Jesus who by his Holy Spirit assures us of eternal life. From beginning to end, the catechism is focused 
on that promise of comfort. And it does so by basing the teaching of the Catechism on the book of Romans, the structure of guilt, grace, and gratitude. How many things must we know to live and die in the joy of the comfort of the gospel in Christ happily? Three things. First, the greatness of my sins and misery. Second, how I am redeemed from my sins and misery. Third, how I am to be thankful to God for such redemption. It's that outline that we're going to look at here today in a bird's eye view. Quincy and Noah, Bethany and Sophie, all those who confess Christ as Savior, young and old, in a fallen Romans 1 world, the Christian life is one of personal commitment of an absolute and exclusive nature to Jesus. First, we look at our guilt and our need for a Savior. The big picture, that's what we're focusing on here today. And as we think about history, creation, fall, redemption, and consummation, these are kind of hooks on which to place what is happening since the Lord created the world. Creation reminds us that man, Adam and Eve, were created as male and female in true righteousness and holiness to know God, to reflect the holy ways of God. They were like kids, a bicycle that reflects on the reflectors the light. They were to reflect God in the world that God made. Adam, before the fall, was in a covenant of works. He was there to work. Yes, work exists before the fall, and there will be work in the new heavens and new earth. He was there as a priest. The Garden of Eden was the first temple. He was to keep it holy and pure and undefiled. As Greg Beale says, he was to expand, expand the Garden Temple into the entire world that God made. He was to go forth then in that dominion mandate in Genesis 1. He is the head of all humanity. And when he broke the covenant of works, when he was unfaithful and not obedient in extending the garden sanctuary, Adam himself was cast out of the Garden of Eden. He could not enjoy God's presence anymore. He is no longer God's priest in the temple. The cherubim and seraphim, Genesis 3, now guard the way to the temple. And we see the recklessness and the foolishness of sin. Sin always takes, it destroys. And instead of the world becoming a sphere of fellowship with God, it is now a wilderness, a creation groaning in pains. That's why there is so much sorrow and grief and death. Because Adam went from being crowned with honor and glory to being naked and ashamed. Romans 5 says, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Do you remember in Catechism, kids, we would say it again and again, in Adam's fall, sinned we all. How does that affect me? Because Adam is the federal head, the representative of all humanity. So now his sin is imputed to me. I am born guilty. I have my own sin, my own pollution. Apart from Christ, my will is dead. I'm not seeking God. My mind is dark. Romans 8, 
The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It cannot submit to God's law. The Romans one world we live in is a world where God left the imprint of his being in everything that he's made. From the butterfly to Pike's Peak in Colorado. But because of the fall, there is the suppression of the knowledge of God in unrighteousness. The mind is in rebellion against God. It's futile. It doesn't understand holy things. It hates God. It's a darkened heart. And Romans 1 says God gives them over to the perversity of the heart. Romans 1 says you're going to live in a world where people are going to call good evil and evil good. It's crooked. It's wicked. No one does good. Yes, God restrains sin by his common grace, but sin overwhelms us like a flood. Every part of us, mind, body, heart, affections, apart from Christ, is dead in sin. What are some applications of this in our world today? Well, I printed on page 7 the Westminster Larger Catechism because this is something of what we do in catechism. Here's a question for all of us, adults and kids. Is every sin the same in God's eyes? Have you had that question asked? Have you wondered that? We're not going to get into a lot today, but you'll see that the catechism is rightly saying, I believe, according to the Bible, the answer is no. Some sins are more heinous than others. God's anger is especially roused when sins are against children, the weak, the helpless. We see it in the Old and New Testaments. The abomination of abortion. There's a progression of sin from temptation to nurturing those desires to acting out on them to death, James says. When it comes to public witness, we must have the courage, as the Bible tells us, to say, yes, some sins are more heinous than others. Why does this matter in our own life? Because some of you might be too hard on yourselves. Kevin DeYoung says, some might not see that there's a difference between fallen temptations and flagrant disobedience. Others might be too easy on themselves and just kind of say, well, I'm going to sin and God's going to forgive and it's a great relationship. Some might believe a heinous sin is just a struggle or a mistake. And many might give up striving after holiness because they forget that we will never completely leave sin behind in this life. That's why this matters. Every sin deserves God's wrath and curse. But no, not every sin is the same in God's eyes. How does this apply today? Sin is not just an action. Our sinful desires are sin. De Young, in a book, Don't Be True to Yourself, interesting title, says that our fallen Romans 1 world tells you your identity is found in what you desire. So to deny the fulfillment of that is to deny your identity. It's a world of expressive individualism. So the idea is that you are what you feel and don't let anyone else say anything otherwise. Elsa, you've all heard of Elsa, Frozen, Let It Go, DeYoung says, that song is about testing the limits and breaking through 
This song and her as a character are a favorite in the LGBTQ plus community. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. That is the spirit of this present evil age. Is equals ought. That's what the world is telling you. If I feel this way, I should do this. And if you tell me I can't, you're attacking the heart of my personhood. We're getting that message all the time. What's wrong with that? We live in a fallen world. Our desires are sinful and self-centered. The movie Turning Red from last year. The daughter tells mom, my panda, my body. The slogan, my body, my choice. So she can change into a panda if she wants to be true to herself. Worldliness makes sin look normal and righteousness look odd. In the modern view, no one can tell me what my orientation or gender is. I know it. I define it. It is madness, beloved. God is giving them up. People are restless. They're aching. They're troubled. Paul Simon sang about it in the 1960s. Your parents know this. Kathy, I'm lost. I said, though I knew. I can't sing it. She was sleeping. I'm empty. I'm aching. And I don't know why. Counting the cars on the New Jersey Turnpike, they've all come to look for America. They're trying to make sense of it. People are living longer, working longer, more self-absorbed, feeling less self-fulfilled, and filled with self-pity. That's from the New York Times. As the Stones saying, I can't get no satisfaction. And we're living in a world that is secular, yes, living for right now, but has really moved into paganism. Burning Man, Nevada, that's an example of this. Turning Within. One author says women should eat the apple so they can gain wisdom from within that they deserve. This is bad news. The gospel makes no sense and is meaningless apart from understanding this. That's why Luther read Romans 1 and said, God is holy, holy, holy. He is righteous and I am not. He hated the righteousness of God. Until, secondly, he saw that the righteousness God demands, he provides. From guilt to grace. That's when Romans shifts in Romans 3.21. No one will be justified by their works. There is no one righteous. But God, Romans 1, has provided the righteousness of Christ in the gospel for all who believe. And in our text in Romans 12, Paul wants to remind you of that. Therefore, brothers, meaning brothers and sisters, family of God in Rome, old and young, I appeal to you, therefore, what has he just said in Romans 1 through 11? Over and over again, look to Christ. By nature, we turn in on ourselves. Paul wants to remind you that the mercies of God are plural and they are abundant. That God's grace is far greater than our sin. That you come here with secret desires, perhaps, that are known to hardly anyone else, and you think, can I be forgiven? God says, yes. 
you come here as one who's had an abortion or lived as a homosexual. Can I be forgiven? God says, repent and believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. You come here weary. You come here with addictions. You come here with secret enslavement to alcohol for 20 years and you're using it to cover up your grief and you don't know where to turn. God says, turn to Jesus. You come here weighed down by the problems of yourself and your family and you feel hopeless. God says, give them to Jesus. No one person can handle them. Christ does. Bring them to the cross. In Christ, find forgiveness from every sin, however vile and wicked, along the Westminster larger catechism lines. Whatever you have done, Jesus says, I am greater. My blood was shed to forgive sinners. Emmaus wrote, hear that good news. God so loved the world that in love, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who have loved one another for all eternity, the Father sends his Son. He gives him. He gives him to death on a cross. Christ, the last Adam, the true king-priest, perfectly obeyed God and expanded the boundaries of that temple as a new creation from himself to all of his people. If you are in Christ, new creation. You still struggle with sin. Yes, you do. Some things will not be healed until heaven. That's true. But remember who you are in Jesus. Remember the heart of the gospel is Christ dying in your place as your substitute. Christ rising again from the dead. Romans 1 says, through his resurrection from the dead, He is declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness. Beloved, the resurrection of Jesus, as Ferguson says, is the grounding of your justification, the guarantee of your preservation, the instrument of your sanctification, and the assurance of your final salvation and resurrection. At the very end of time, the true temple will come down completely, completely from heaven and fill the whole creation, Revelation 21. The new creation is equated with an escalated garden temple, better than Eden, because Christ has caused the garden temple to be expanded through the whole earth and the new heaven and new earth, Beale says. This should encourage you today. Romans is about the gospel. Redemption accomplished by Jesus his law-keeping, his death, his resurrection. Redemption applied to you by his spirit. Boundless mercies. The father of all mercies. He loved you, he chose you, he sought you, he bought you when you were dead in sin. Now by faith in Jesus, you have peace with God through Christ. You have the spirit of adoption. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ and you live with the hope of the return of Jesus and the resurrection of the body and life everlasting with God. Your salvation does not depend on human will, Romans 9, or exertion. Maybe some of you are on that treadmill thinking, okay, I gotta come to church, I gotta re-earn my salvation. No, God says rest. Fretting leads to evil doing. Rest in Jesus. The eternal purpose of God, Romans 9, is to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy. Men and women, boys and girls, every tribe, tongue, and nation, every culture, he came to save a people for himself. That's his purpose. He loves you. He knows your struggle. 
immersing yourself in God's saving grace. Drink it in. And what does that mean, third, for how you live? Guilt, grace, gratitude. Beloved, for the Christian, it is not do this and live. It is because you live in Christ, now live in thankfulness to God by the Spirit. Romans 1 says they did not give thanks to God. A lack of gratitude is among those sins that Paul talks about. Until we apprehend the mercy of God, we will never really worship him. Isn't that true? We will never really be stimulated to fear and love him and obey him. Family of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, Paul says. Holy and acceptable to God. In Christ you are holy. Quincy, Noah, Bethany, and Sophie, you are the Lord's. God delights in you. Each believer here. And the Holy Spirit is making you more like Christ. This is a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they were dead. You'd bring the animal. The priest would kill it. The blood is shed. Christ's blood has been shed. The once for all suffering has been done. He's completed it. Redemption is accomplished. Now, you and I, by the Spirit, are to be living sacrifices that are continual, constant, and lifelong. We approach God by union with Christ. We are living stones being built up to be a spiritual house and a priesthood to God. Here again is the temple language. Eden is the first temple. Christ is the temple. And you, as you are united to him by the Spirit, through faith, are being made into corporally the temple of Christ, together, the family of God. This temple cannot be destroyed, Emmaus wrote. The same spirit that indwelt the old temple, who made Moses' face to shine, who led the Israelites through the desert, is within you as God's people. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead raised you spiritually from the dead and is sanctifying you, conforming you to the image of the chief cornerstone, Jesus. And you declare this faith as you confess it, as the kids did today, publicly before men. You are saved into a church. There are no individualistic, silo kind of ways to live the Christian life. We need each other. The mission of the church is gospel-driven. Our compassion for the lost, our desire for God's glory, and for the nations to come and worship the Lord. Our priestly task, Beale says, is being God's temple as living stones, filled with his spirit, telling others of the glorious gospel until God accomplishes this goal completely at the end of time. Go and make disciples of all nations equipped by the spirit of God, Emmaus wrote. The first Adam failed. The last Adam succeeded. In Christ, this is your spiritual worship. Spiritual meaning a word that means actually logical. So as Ferguson says, this is the logic of the gospel. Christ has given everything to you. Now I want to give myself back to him without reservation. Paul says salvation is a free gift that costs you and I everything. 
It means giving yourself totally to the Lord. Glorifying God in all areas. As you grow as a Christian, you and I become more aware of sin in our hearts. Isn't that true? It takes the whole of our life to give our whole life to Christ. In his love for you, he said by his spirit, I want all of you. I want you to live for my glory. There you will find freedom and joy. Eric Alexander says, these verses are about Christian commitment. There's a longing in our hearts to be committed to something. People have a cause they're passionate about. If you want to be married, you're hoping for someone to be committed to you. The longing here is a longing for what God has made you for, commitment to him. But in our world, people don't like this. People don't want to be committed in marriage. They don't want to be committed in church life. They don't want to become members or serve or get too involved. By nature, we're curved in on me. But by God's grace, he turns me up to Christ in faith and out to my neighbor in love. This is your spiritual service of worship. To repent each day. Romans 1.5 says, To obey the Lord by the Spirit. We are saved not by good works, but for good works. The love of Christ controls us. The most powerful motivation is love. Love for God. Love for one another. Do you remember the Emmaus Road? Jesus appears. They said, when he was talking to us, our hearts were burning within us. The scriptures were open to us. May God, by his spirit, give us burning hearts for Christ. That we who have been forgiven much would love much. Spiritual worship from the heart, not just going through the motions. Worship that doesn't just happen online. Loved ones, the virtual church thing. I know some people are sick and sometimes you're on vacation and sometimes, yeah. But church is together. Right here, right? Face to face. Side by side. So we don't say, well, I'm not sure today if I'm going to go online or go in person. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. Kids, when you go off to college, one of the biggest decisions you'll make is, will I go to church on that first Sunday I'm away? DeYoung says, that's huge. That may set the pattern for your whole time in college. Worship. We've been created to worship. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Paul says, okay, your whole life commitment to Jesus means present your bodies. See that? You are body and soul. Every part of your body, tongue, hands, eyes, ears, is to be presented as an instrument for righteousness, Romans 6. There's a father looking down on you in love. Living each moment in God's presence. Here's how Alistair Begg puts it. Do you remember that song as kids? Be careful, little feet, where you go. Speaking of the heart, but how does the heart manifest itself in these ways? Be careful, little feet, where you go. 14, 15 year old kids who have professed your faith, mom and dad, all of us. Be careful, little hands, what you touch. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little minds, what you think. 
We once were estranged from God, but now lips, feet, ears, and heart we use to serve God. Encouraging one another. Speaking the truth to one another. Listening to each other. Your body is a member of Christ, Emmaus Road. So is mine. It's not meant for us to do whatever we want, 1 Corinthians 6. Jesus died to purchase you body and soul. The Holy Spirit lives in you, Emmaus wrote. Your body's a temple of the Spirit. So, what does this look like for a man in his 60s or 70s, to apply it to someone older? Alistair Begg says, a Christian man in his 60s once said to me, my big prayer at this moment toward the end of my life is this, Lord, do not, help, do not let me die as a dirty old man. That's going to take the mercies of God, whatever age. That's going to take the transformative power of the Spirit. And that's what the passage says. Do not be conformed to this age. The world is trying to press you into its mold. You have a body that the Spirit dwells in. We want to make decisions in our life, in our relationships, in our career, asking this, young people and old, is this acceptable and pleasing and glorifying to God? This age is dominated by sin. Jesus came to deliver you from it, but you're still living in the world, but not of it. Don't let the world squeeze you. The pressures that are there, online, on social media, in our hearts, 24-7, you're being bombarded by it. The world's way of thinking, look out for number one. Live for today, the oldie song said. But because Christ is risen from the dead, that shows that that is foolish. You belong to the age to come. This world is not your home. Why should you not be conformed to this world? Because it's temporary. Because you're a pilgrim. Because you're in exile. Be on guard, Emmaus. This takes the renewal of our minds and being transformed. Paul says, be transformed like a butterfly. A caterpillar to a butterfly. A tadpole to a frog. This word means when Jesus was transfigured. Same word. Total transformation. Being unrecognizable to what you once were. Not be a transformer, but by the Spirit be transformed. God doesn't leave you the way he found you or me. He makes you more like his son. That as you behold the glory of Christ, you are transformed from one degree of glory into another by the renewal of your mind, Emmaus. Our mind once was in rebellion to God. But now, this is a way we offer to God our bodies. The thoughts of our hearts. As Gallagher says, this is an index, one of them, of where we are spiritually. If our thinking has as its default set in carnal things, that shows the bent of our heart is there. If our thinking tends to be more spiritual, to find satisfaction in Christ, that is life and peace. Colossians 3, set your mind on things above. Where Christ is, remember who he is, who you are in him. In your thought life, what do you think about and what do I think about when we have nothing? 
to think about. God, renew our minds by your word. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Holy Spirit, renew me from the inside out. Help me to develop a Christian mind as I look at the culture. To love your law. To hate my sin more than I hate the sin of someone else. To love Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help me to be discerning. Give me wisdom. Help me to test the will of God. Do you see what he says? Discerning and the will of God. What is God's will for you, Emmaus? Well, it's the rest of Romans. Read on to finish chapters 12 to 16. It is his law. It is your sanctification. It is by the Spirit to pray without ceasing. It is to rejoice in the Lord always. To be thankful in all circumstances. Mind renewal is not the ultimate goal in this. Ferguson says, it is the transformation of life that happens through the transformation of our affections and our loves to God and one another. The goal is not intellectual. It's that we would taste and see that the Lord is good. For our kids and us, that our hearts would soar to love God because he first loved us. Amen. Where do we see that love of God for us? Well, as you see in your bulletin, we see it anew and afresh today in the Lord's Supper.